Well, welcome home, church family. It's good to see you today. Y'all doing all right? Wonderful, wonderful. I am glad to be here today with you as we spend time together. You know, it's a big day for us around here. We are attempting to restart Sunday school today, which is exciting. I got to tell you a story. You know, when I was a, when I was a younger man, uh, I, won't, I don't want to say when I was a young man because that insinuates that I'm not. I totally am, all right? So I'm just going to say younger. When I was a younger man, that's right, Chuck. That's what you told me to say, right? Younger. You're young. Yeah. When I was a younger man, I was courting this lady named Amanda. And uh, we had a unique courtship uh, in the sense that I was living in New Orleans and she was living outside of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, and we had a long-distance relationship for, uh, in our three and a half years of courtship prior to marriage. Uh, for about three years of that, we're spent in a long-distance relationship, um, which is really the only way I could convince somebody that I was worth possibly marrying. And uh, so we got married, and then the long distance went away, and it was like, wait, what? Uh, but it's okay. We're, you know, she's right here, and I love her, uh, and everything's good. But we had a long-distance relationship for three and a half years, and we had to learn how to make a relationship last in a, in a, in a long-distance context. And uh, there were a lot of challenges that came with it, but one of the most basic ways you can keep up in a long-distance relationship, does anybody want to take an audible guess? Communication by talking on the phone. I think somebody said God. Uh, it's a yes. Uh, I, I know we're starting Sunday school today. I didn't know we were starting it right now. Um, with some of our answers, but we would talk on the phone. We were intentional about communication. And one of the things that I did, being the Casanova that I am, that was sarcasm. Thank you for laughing. Uh, I would write her letters. Uh, and sometimes they were ele electronic letters called email. And sometimes they were just handwritten letters. And do you know who I wrote those letters to? Amanda. Now, I didn't filter, I didn't get my roommates to be like, hey guys, y'all need to come read this. This is so good. I didn't do that. You know why? Because those letters were for Amanda. And when I sent them to Amanda, I didn't say, hey, before you read this, will you let your roommates kind of proofread it and make sure the, the spelling and punctuation? And I didn't do that. You know why? Because the letters were for Amanda. So when I was trying to communicate to her my affections for her, I wrote a letter just for her. Because that's what love letters are for, right? Anybody ever gotten a love letter? Just raise your hand so I don't feel... All right, yeah, I see a few of you. I see any, any of you that have gotten a love letter, have you ever written a love letter? Some of y'all are like, yeah, that was seventh grade. Okay, well, you know, I, I was a late bloomer, so I was still writing them. This morning, church, I want to remind you of something, that this Word of God that most of us have available to us, and if not, I have multiple copies, I would love to give you a copy of the Word of God, the word of God this morning, as is for always, is God's love letter to you. God's love letter to you is the word of God. But this morning, I want us to kind of unpack something and understand something very important. That God's love letter to you is not just for you. When I wrote Amanda uh, letters, they were just for her. Why? Because it was a very exclusive uh, relationship that I was pursuing. But when we say that this is God's love letter to you, it is specifically to you, but it is also for all of us. 
And I'm not trying to downplay your significance because you are important. You do matter. You were created in the image of God and he loves you desperately. So much so that he sacrificed his only son so that you might have fellowship with him. That the relationship between you and God could be restored because our sin had tarnished it. So he gives us this love letter that, yes, it is just for you, but it is also for us. And let me, let me kind of take some time this morning and explain what I mean by that. Last week, we had Dr. Jeff Gardner here, which was such a blessing. And he challenged us in the context of biblical community. And I didn't tell him this, but this morning it was kind of like last week was part one, this week is part two. As he challenged us in biblical community, community and, and whatever our situation, church, we should, if those who belong to Christ Jesus, we should always desire biblical community. It's ingrained in us to have this idea. But we can only have biblical community with those who are in Christ. And hear me when I say this. Hear me when I say this. We should all, if, if we are in Christ, we should belong to Christ by pursuing biblical community. And it doesn't matter where those people are as long as we are engaging in biblical community. They might belong to another church. They might belong to something that's not a Baptist church. But as long as they proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and the only way to salvation, then, then we should have biblical community with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can do this. We don't have to be in person to have biblical community. And right now in this pandemic, I know we have some that are, that are going to be gathering with us at home and some of us that are here in person gathering. You know, we can, whatever our situation, we can still engage in biblical community the thing about biblical community is that we have to be intentional about biblical community and let me tell you why we have to be intentional to to engage in biblical community because whether you want to admit it or not whether you realize it or not we are fallen humans and even though we are redeemed in christ we still battle and the selfish appetites that we have by being fallen man and woman so the idea of us to have a natural appetite for the word of God that, that calls us back into account, that brings us back into fellowship with him, that lets us know that we're not in control or in charge, our, our natural sinful self doesn't crave that naturally. So we have to intentionally pursue biblical community to be a part of it. It doesn't just fold out naturally. I've never been in, in a grocery store or in Walmart or somewhere and somebody just happens to walk up to me and be like, hey, are you a believer? Can we participate in some biblical community? It doesn't just happen naturally when you're just stumbling through your normal life. You have to pursue biblically, biblical community. This morning I want to build on what Dr. Gardner shared with us last week as we take it one step further and celebrate this morning the return of Sunday school, which is one area of biblical community that Westmead celebrates. Y'all know another area that Westmead, can you think of one, that uh, uh, another context in which Westmead Baptist Church demonstrates biblical community? Small groups is correct. Sunday school and small groups. Anybody got one more? Live classes on Wednesdays, whenever we can start those back. Anybody want to take a guess at another one? Looking for something a little closer to home? Maybe something in the context that's really relevant to you at this very moment? Yes, corporate, yes, being here together, corporate worship, yes, this what we're doing here when we're corporately gathered in this room and worshiping together is biblical community. Now, it's not as personal because I don't know if you realize that there's more than 12 people in the room. Um, but this is biblical community in which we get to demonstrate and have biblical community. But I want you to understand something. 
Even as classes, right now, y'all know Sunday school classes are gathering right now as we worship in here. There are classes taking place. But even as those classes are gathering, even as we're meeting right here, you need to understand that the, the factor that empowers biblical community, the only factor that empowers biblical community is the Word of God. Dr. Jeff talked about this last week. We can have community all the live long day, and we can talk about all the things we have in common, but biblical community is not going to be biblical in community unless and until we spotlight and gather around the Word of God. Dr. Dr. Gardner shared this last week. This is his quote. Biblical community is doing life with others centered around the person and work of Jesus Christ and the written Word of God. Biblical community. When I was 16 years old, I gave my life to Christ. I, I recognized my need for a Savior. I recognized my need for redemption. I recognized that I wasn't good enough and I couldn't ever get good enough in order to merit the favor of God. So at 16, I gave my life to Christ. And, and, and as I unpacked that and started walking through that, I understand and I recognize the need in my life for biblical community. But when I thought about this idea, I understood, man, the Bible is, is very important to me growing in this newfound relationship I have with Christ. So I started reading the Bible. And I'll be honest with you, church, I didn't understand most of what I was reading. And part of it was because I, I was raised in the church. I grew up in the church. So as I started reading God's word, uh, I remembered the stories and I remembered the little uh, felt boards that went with the illustrations from being a kid or whatever. But, but on trying to read and study God's word for myself, I was failing. And, and, and even the enemy was using that as a foothold because I was being defeated by the fact that I didn't know what to read. I didn't know how to st- study God's word in a way that would continue to transform my life. And I would just read things and I'd get done. I'd read a chapter and I'd get done. I'm like, I don't understand what that means. Because I thought as I was growing, I was a new believer. And as I was growing, I needed to read the Bible. But I just couldn't get it. And I was so determined to try to figure it out for my own. But, but I was defeated by it. I would beat myself up thinking, man, I'm a believer and I'm supposed to enjoy reading God's word. But I don't understand it. And it wasn't until I recognized the significance of connecting with a group of believers that sought after God's word for the power that it has to transform their lives that I started connecting and understanding the role of God's word as it played out in my life. Yes, it is a love letter specifically to me. It is a love letter specifically to you. But this morning, church, I want us to take a bigger picture to understand that God's love letter specifically for us is also written for us. In the context of biblical community, when I sat down with a group of guys and I started learning from them as they started kind of unpacking and, and guys, understand this, man, hear me when I say this. When I say I sat down with a group of guys in biblical community, it wasn't a Sunday school class, okay? I went to Sunday school, but that's not where it happened. When I sat down with a group of guys in biblical community, it wasn't a small group. It wasn't a life class. Actually, it didn't, it didn't even happen on our church campus. When I finally sat down and experienced true biblical community, we were in an attic above a a garage, a detached garage that a guy in my church is is at his house, his detached garage, his attic was above it. That's where the first time I sat down and engaged a group of men, some older than me, some younger than me, we all sat down and it became biblical community. It's the first time I ever understood it and I got it. 
And I started sitting down and I started listening to them. And I started uh, hearing how they would read the Word of God and how they were, they were showing me things. And, and when they started talking about the Bible, the Word of God came alive. Because as a 16-year-old, and by then I was a couple of years older, I didn't have those life experiences that they had. So when they started sharing with me the truths of God's Word as it that was lived out in areas in their life that they had applied it, it started giving flesh to the text. It started understanding it more. They were pointing me in that biblical view. They would point me to other passages in Scripture that would, that would prop up Scripture even more to make it more relevant, to make it more clear so that I can understand it better. It was true biblical. In short, in short, if I can just sum this whole thing, they were discipling me, church. And that takes place in the context of biblical community because they were taking God's Word, living Word, and they were fleshing it out in biblical community. And they were talking about what it means. And they were showing me other places in Scripture that, that highlighted it. And they showed me what the Bible was for. All that time I had been studying God's Word thinking, this is God's love letter to me. Why don't I understand what he's saying? And I sat down and I said, well, this is also God's love letter to us. Because God used those men in my life to show me what he was saying. And it took place in the context a biblical community. It was kind of like the Ethiopian eunuch, if y'all remember in Acts chapter 8. And you don't have to turn there. That's not going to be our spotlight text this morning. But if you remember in Acts chapter 8, there was this high-ranking official, Ethiopian eunuch. He was riding down the road, uh, and he was trying to study God's word. And God sent Philip uh, to be nearby and, and to understand and to hear that this guy was reading. And he didn't understand what he was reading. This is what it talks about in Acts 8, verses 30 and 31. It says, so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah. The prophet, and he called out to him, and, and he said, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian eunuch said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is biblical community. But did you see what happened? It's not just, hey man, where are you headed? I'm going down this road. Oh, let me come ride with you, and let's just kind of hang out and talk and get to know each other. No, they gathered around the purpose of studying God's word. And the transformational power of God's word led to this eunuch giving his life to Christ and being baptized. It's a beautiful picture. It's in Acts chapter 8 if you want to read it this afternoon. The transformational power of God's word is the foundation for true discipleship. And it takes place when a group of people gather around God's word. It's meant to be done in biblical community. I got two passages this morning I want us to look at and kind of evaluate to show what I'm talking about. And the first one is in 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles. It's in the Old Testament. Uh, if you're flipping through the Old Testament and you see like First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, then there's First and Second Chronicles. Uh, so if you see something with a number in front of it, you're pretty close. But we're in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. And as you turn there, I want to understand, help you understand the background that we're talking about the nation of Israel. Uh, they had once again turned their backs on God. And they had done what the Bible calls as evil in the sight of the Lord. They had uh, terrible king after king after king that did evil in the sight of the Lord. And, and we get to act, uh, excuse me, we get to Second Chronicles 34, and we see King Josiah came along. Now, King Josiah, unlike his father, he actually honored the Lord in how he was king. So much for the fact that he wanted to honor the Lord that he said, you know what, there's a temple and it's kind of been run down because we've had some evil rulers that haven't valued the Lord God. So he wanted to repair the temple. And as he had workers and as he had sent his people to go repair the temple, one of the guys working 
I, I don't know if he was knocking a wall down. I don't know what they were doing. But he found the book of the law of the Lord. He found a context of the early scriptures. And he brought the scriptures, turned it into a supervisor. The supervisor brought it to King Josiah and said, Hey, King Josiah, this book was found. And uh, I just want to share with you some of the words that were in it. And this, this messenger, the, it was a high-ranking official, shared, just started reading from the word of God. And chapter 34 says that King Josiah tore his robes because he was so convicted by its words. And when he tore his, his, his robes, when he, when he went into mourning because of the sin that the nation of Israel had steeped itself in and, and for how they had wandered from God, and he recognized that, man, we're a nation that has wandered from God, but yet we are supposed to be God's chosen people and we have turned our backs on God and he will bring his righteous punishment on us if we don't repent. And he recognized the sin of Israel and he tore his robes and he sought after God in repentance. And when he did, God relented on his punishment of Israel. See, Josiah recognized the authority of God when the word of God was read to him. But where it really ramps up is where Josiah recognized that that word of God that he heard that led his heart to repentance wasn't just for him. And it would have been easy for a king to sit back and say, hey, I have access to the law of the, uh, the word of the law of God. Let me, let me just immerse myself in it every day. No, he recognized something bigger. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, I want to invite you to drop down to verse 29 and read these, look at these verses as we read them together. Beginning in verse 29, it says, Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord, with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest, he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by his pillar and renewed the covenant and the presence of the Lord. That is to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes and decrees with all his heart and all his soul, and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. Then he had everyone in Jerusalem and Benjamin pledge themselves to it. The people of Jerusalem did this in accordance with the covenant of God and the God of their ancestors. King Josiah, when convicted by the reading of the word of God, recognized this word of the Lord is for everybody. If this word of God has the power to lead me to repentance and we as a nation have sinned against God, then we as a nation need to turn back to God by listening to his word. So he gathered everybody together and he just simply read the word of God to them. Biblical community. Why? Because it was a group of people gathered, but they were gathered for the purpose of God's word. When he gathered them together, understand that he just went straight to the source and this is kind of where we find ourselves as, a, as an American society. When he gathered them together, he didn't, just, he didn't just give them his version of what was read. Well, this is, this is, we got the word of the law here, and this is kind of what it says. Y'all need to pay attention. He didn't, as a king, abuse the word of God to, to try to justify himself as a king. Hey, y'all remember when I told y'all to do this and y'all didn't like it? Well, the Bible says so. He didn't, do, he didn't promote his kingship, and he didn't, he didn't try to fit an agenda with the word of God. No, what did he do? He gave them the truth. He gave them the truth. 
And then he said, go build your lives around that. Hey, nation of Israel, this is who we are as a people, this, but this is who we've been. And let me, let me tell you, let me read this. Let's have this read so you understand that there is a God that loves and redeems Israel. And we've turned our backs on him, but he's not done with us yet. And we can either repent and he'll relent, or we can go about and, and be a part of his righteous punishment. But understand, this is the love that God has for us. And he read it, and then he said, here's the truth. There's it is. Now go build your lives around it. This morning, and today and this coming Wednesday, Westmead is partaking in the beginning of Sunday school classes. And I'm, I'm really excited about Sunday school today. It's been kind of a crazy morning already. Um, you know what we're doing? We're trying to put our Sunday school classes in much larger meeting areas. We can space everybody out, do it in a healthy context, be safe and smart about it. Uh, of course, y'all know what's going to happen in Sunday school, right? What's going to happen in Sunday school is the word of God is going to be proclaimed. And there's, a, there's an enemy that doesn't like that. So we've been dealing with that this morning. We've had rooms that lights won't turn on. We've had uh, rooms that aren't going to be sufficient. We have rooms that we've had to move some Sunday school classes. But guess what? Our people are amazing enough to be flexible enough to say, hey, whatever it takes so we can gather together. So this morning, I'm excited about Sunday school. And, and, and here's what I'm going to do. And, and I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable, but I might make some of you uncomfortable. If you are currently a Sunday school teacher, will you please stand and remain standing for just a moment? There they come. I am so thankful for our Sunday school teachers. Yes, yes. Sunday school teachers, hear me when I say this. Please, please remain standing. I want to tell you something very personal. Thank you for bringing the truth to the people that gather in your class. Thank you for bringing just the simple truth of the word of God to the people you will teach. Thank you for that. Because that is exactly what Josiah did. He led them to the truth, and then he encouraged them, go build your lives around it. Church, if you're still seated this morning, look around. That is what these people do. Some of you have a Sunday school teacher that may or may not be here today, and that is what your Sunday school teacher is tasked with doing, is giving you the truth and then letting God take it and cultivate it so you build your lives around it. Teachers, thank you so much. You may be seated, but thank you for who you are and what you do and to leading us in biblical community. The second passage of scripture I invite you to turn is to Acts. Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. And in, in Acts 19, we see Paul in Ephesus on one of his missionary journeys. And just like in all of Paul's journeys, he, he, he got fruit in one of two ways. A, he would see fruit from proclaiming the gospel uh, in the form of converts, that people would give their life to Christ and become followers of what was known in Acts as the way. Because Jesus very eloquently declared to his followers, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So that kind of stuck for around for a little while with the early church. They called themselves followers of the way. And when Paul would proclaim the gospel, we would see people, we would see fruit of that by people becoming converted into Christianity and being followers of the way. But also... The other side of the coin, every time Paul proclaimed Jesus as Lord, he would get opposition and he would get people coming against him. And we're going to see a little bit of that in this text in Acts chapter 19. So I invite you to look in these three verses in Acts 19, beginning in verse 8. We read this together. It says, Paul 
entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. In this passage, we see true discipleship lived out in the context of biblical community. Essentially, what we're talking about here, if we can just kind of put it and like dumb it down for Justin to understand it, is we see Paul proclaim the gospel in the synagogue which was a largely Jewish audience, and they they got really upset with him, and they became obstinate, and they became maligning the way. So he said, you know what, we're just going to go to another location. How about the lecture hall of Tyrannus? And, And basically what happened is for two years, his Sunday school class met every day. Hey, teachers, <laughs> we're talking about starting Sunday school back. What are you doing the next two years every day? I'm kidding. We don't have a lecture hall of Tyrannus. That's why, right? Okay, that's exactly what was taking place is he took his group of people that he was specifically pursuing biblical community with to teach them the word of God and they moved and it says they met daily for two years. And what did they do for two years when they met daily? Anybody want to take a guess? Give you a hint, it's written in in verse 10. What did they do? They studied the word of the Lord. It says he was teaching the word of the Lord. It says right there at the end of verse 10, teaching the word of the Lord every day for two years. Biblical community built around and centered on God, the teaching of God's word. And what happens? What happened when we see this take place? The transformational power that only comes from the word of God didn't just impact the disciples, the, the people that he was pursuing in biblical community who else did it reach somebody say it out loud asia i love how they kind of downplay it here the province of asia when we think of a province we think of like this little known outpost or something the province of asia (laughs) for two years for two years this man pursued in pursuit of biblical community and discipleship taught the word of god in this one specific area and in Ephesus was a kind of a crossroads for traveling. There was a lot of people coming in and a lot of people going out of the city. And the lecture hall of Tyrannus was a very public venue that a lot of people would pass through. And they would hear the teaching of the word of the Lord. That after two years of teaching these guys, after two years of pursuing biblical community, after two years of being faithful to the word of God, recognizing that the word of God is not just for me, it's for others as well, for us to grow together. That all of who? All the Jews... In, in Asia had heard about it, right? Wrong. Jews and Greeks, the Jews and the Gentiles, because of a man's faithfulness to proclaim the word of God, understanding the word of God is not just for him, but for him to take and to promote and to be a part of biblical community and pursue discipleship together, that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard what? The word of the Lord. Their purpose 
their purpose in all of Paul's missionary's journeys, yes, it was to evangelize the lost. And how did they do so? By proclaiming the word of God. But it was also to cultivate relationships and promoting discipleship in those who proclaim Jesus as Lord. Dr. Gardner said this exact quote last week. He said, discipleship has to be our purpose. It has to be the purpose of the church is to make disciples. Yes, we do it through Sunday school. We do it through here. We do it through life classes. We do it through small groups. But church, discipleship, biblical community is bigger than that. And maybe we just need to kind of broaden our vision a little bit to recognize that we can pursue and engage in biblical community by making disciples of all the nations just by being outspoken believers of Christ who stand firmly on the word of God and the word of God only. And when we do, who knows what God wants to do with it. Maybe all the Jews and Greeks in Asia will hear it eventually because your pursuit that they recognize that God's word not, is not just for me. It should be for us. We should be pursuing God, God daily through his word. But it's also designed for us to be a part of making disciples. Church, I will tell you this. Lives don't change apart from the transformational power of God's word. What I mean by that is I can sit down with somebody who may or may not profess to be a, a believer in Jesus Christ. I can talk to them for a week straight and nothing in their life would change if I don't bring up the word of God. What I'm telling you is I can't change anybody's mind because realistically I can't change anybody's heart. I don't have the words. I don't have the eloquence. I don't have the relationship. I don't have the power to do that. Do you know who does? God. And do you know how he transforms the hearts of man? Through his word. How do we know his word? By daily studying and pursuing the Lord in a personal relationship that we have through Jesus Christ by looking at God's word. But there are things in this Bible that I still struggle with. And you know what I do when I have those moments? I typically end up in David's office. I call one of my old mentors. I'll go have lunch with Brother Scotty. I'll sit down with men, godly men, that I know greatly value the word of God, and I'm going to say, hey, teach me. What does this mean? Help me understand. Because the word of God is meant for us. Not just me. Not just Westmead. Not just my Sunday school class. Not just my small group. Not just my group of friends. The word of God is for everybody. And we who are followers of Christ need to be intentional to recognize that this love letter isn't just for me it's for others to see and hear and grow and learn and church when we do and i hope it's a when we do not a if we do church when we do when we pursue biblical community by bringing and focusing and spotlighting our lives and the relationships that we have on the word of god then we trust God. We show that we trust God, that through his transformational word, he starts impacting the hearts of man and transforming lives. That's what we're here for, church. That's our purpose. So let's be faithful. Let us 
be faithful to take God's word and go make disciples the way Jesus taught us and the way Jesus told us. May we be found faithful. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth that you, have, that you show us regularly. But God, may we not be content with walking up into this room and thinking that this is the only time we're going to participate in the active living word of God. God, there are people in this room, first and foremost, that, that don't know you. God, they don't have a relationship with you. They might have a relationship with the church. They might have a relationship with Christians. But God, they don't have a relationship with you. And God, your word very clearly points us to our need for you. And God, there's no other way we can come to you apart from knowing Jesus and accepting what he has done, the completed work of Christ, so that his death covers my death and that the blood of Jesus covers my sin. God, I ask this morning that if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you as Lord, God, if there's some anybody in this room that just isn't really sure if they've ever truly given their life to Christ, but today they want to know, I pray, Father, in just a few minutes when we stand together, that they don't wait, they don't hesitate, they step out of their pew, they walk down an aisle, and they come to one of our staff members who are right here on the left and to the right of the platform, and they say, I'm ready, I'm ready to know that I've given my life to Christ. God, may they move towards you. And God, this morning, for the, the believer in this room, that if they're completely honest, they would say the only time that they, they value the Word of God is when they're in church. But the only time they value or open the Word of God is when they go to Sunday school. God, open their eyes to see that the Word of God is so much more than showing up with it in our hands. But God, it is meant for us every day to pursue you in a real living relationship. And God, one step beyond that is there's a lot of times that on that one-on-one basis, God, like me, I didn't understand a lot of what I was reading, but I was trying to read that, Father, you would put men in men's lives and women in women's lives so that they would have biblical community, that others would walk beside them to show them how the living word of God can transform their lives. But God, they have to be intentional to pursue it. So God, I guess what I'm asking is that you awaken in us a desire and a passion for your word individually and corporately so that whether we're alone or whether we're with a group of people, we pursue your word. We acknowledge it as truth and we build our lives around it. God, maybe this morning we just need to repent of how we've ignored you through your word. And if so, then may we be responsible and faithful enough to. That God, even now, as we enter in time of invitation, meet us where we are. Do with us what you would have so that you would get the glory for it in us. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Would you please stand?
grab a seat. I, I, I love the words to that, that we can come to God and he meets us with open arms, just exactly as you are. Uh, never forget that, church. Never forget that God is constantly desiring you to come to him and he meets you right where you are. You don't have to clean yourself up because you can't. You don't have to do something because you can't. You just turn and he's there. And I'm so thankful. A couple of announcements for you this morning. Uh, we've been talking about Sunday school, and, and uh, some of y'all's Sunday school class begins right after this. Are you excited? Wonderful, wonderful. They know their Sunday school teachers there to listen and be like, oh, yeah, absolutely. You heard me? I said, anyway, um, if you are on campus, and, uh, and maybe you're sitting here, maybe, you know, in the last few months, things have been a little different in the world, and uh, it, it, we haven't had Sunday school since March the 8th. Can you, y'all remember March the 8th? Like some of y'all were still in high school on March the 8th. This is crazy. That was the last time we met for Sunday school. And some of y'all may have uh, been joined our congregation or been visiting with us. And you're saying, hey, I don't, I don't, I'd love to consider a Sunday school class. And your bulletin, uh, if you open it up, there's a list of all of our classes that are going to be gathering. Now I'm just letting you know, they're meeting all throughout the week. There are some meeting this morning at 9. There are some that are about to meet. There are multiple classes meeting this afternoon. Uh, on here, you will see the class. Uh, you'll see the location and the time in which they are meeting. Uh, somebody said this. Well, Justin, the, the age groups aren't on there. That's true. But you know what? In everything we just talked about, and as Dr. Gardner talked about last week, biblical community doesn't have an age limit. And it doesn't have an age range. Like I said, when I was being discipled, there were men 30, 40 years older than me, and there were men 10 years younger than me. And we all went through life together. So if you know somebody that goes to one of these classes, who cares the age? Uh, be a part of Sunday school if you would like to be part of it. I know that we have some classes that aren't ready to start meeting back yet, and we support them. We want them to make that decision when it's good for them because, church, things are crazy right now. And I'm asking you, as I've asked our Sunday school teachers, make smart decisions based on what you understand about your health and your limitations and your comfort levels. Please make smart decisions. We support you. We want to be there for you. So we're not obligating or expecting anyone to be a part of something they're not comfortable with doing. Um, but if you would like to do something in person, there's the list of, of, of classes here. What's not listed here is our students. Um, our students' classes, our 10th through 12th graders in college are meeting tonight at 6. And then our 6th grade through 9th grade start meeting this coming Wednesday night. Uh, so Terrence has been communicating that. I believe there's something written in his section. So let you know that students and adults are meeting starting today. And I'm so excited. Please continue to be in prayer for our Sunday school classes, whether you choose to be a part of one or not. It's okay. We can still pray for the, those uh, opportunities for biblical community. On your way out, there's a little bucket sitting in a chair. If you have your tithe and offering, you can place it in that bucket. Our, our uh, ushers will get that turned in this morning. I'm so thankful for you. I know many of you are wearing a mask. Thank you for wearing a mask. Um, we've been asked to by our governor, uh, so we're going to comply with that as long as we can practice six-foot distancing. Uh, when you're in your pew, you can choose to leave it on. You can take it off. It's up to you. Uh, but thank you for, uh, for setting the example as Christians doing what we're being asked to by our responsible leaders. Uh, continue to pray. I love you. It's so good to see you, and I hope you have a great morning. If you're going to Sunday school, head that way. Have a good afternoon.